partying it up on the beach, not a good idea. Tonight, crowded beaches raise COVID concerns. The message some aren't getting. Plus. Oh, absolutely. Treat people like adults. Why the Vancouver Park Board maintains prohibition while other cities have relaxed during the pandemic. And. I think when I first tested positive, that was my biggest concern. My wife's 23 weeks pregnant. A Canuck who caught COVID speaks out 24 hours before game day. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Our sunny, warm weather is proving very tempting, maybe too tempting for too many. A disappointing sight for residents who lived near Vancouver's Kitsilano Beach last night. A party on the crowded beach right after renewed appeals from health officials not to gather even outdoors because of the rampant spread of variants. As, Imahi, as Imad Egahi reports, as some are playing it safe, some certainly aren't. This is why we're We got angry like instantly. It was unsettling. It was very concerning. The video you're seeing is from Friday night at Kitsilano Beach. On the same night, across the water at English Bay, there were two groups of people. Those spending the evening on the beach and those appearing frustrated by what they were seeing. Clearly, COVID party number two. You can tell that groups of more than two or three people are putting themselves at risk because they're, they're, they're grouping to, together. Uh, even though the next groups are more than two meters apart, the, the virus could transfer uh, within the time frame that you're spending time with your friends. Vancouver Park Board Rangers say their main priority this weekend is reminding beachgoers of the ongoing pandemic. So when we see people who uh, look like they're all of the same age, let's say, you know, so they're obviously not siblings or part of the same household, and they're t facing each other and they're talking to each other for, you know, more than five to ten minutes, you are putting yourself at risk, which then puts others at risk. Those rangers are following messaging that in its clearest form discourages even outdoor gathering with people outside your immediate household. Even if we can see people outside our household, we shouldn't right now. And if we do, it needs to be the same small group of people. We know that outside is lower risk. It's not zero. So if I am seeing a group of 10 people, the probability that one of them has the virus and is potential to spread it to me right now is highest than it's ever been. Low case numbers last summer afforded the comfort of outdoor socialization, but the current phase of the pandemic in BC appears to be a lot different. I think it's really important right now because we're at such a critical time for people not to be lulled by a false sense of security just because you are outside. Emadagahi, Global News. The issue of overcrowding, obviously not just a concern in urban centers. Community leaders in the suburbs are also looking at ways to clamp down so that popular outdoor areas like the White Rock Pier don't have to be shut down. Julia Foy has that part of the story. Hundreds of people have traveled to White Rock Beach, all for the same reason. The sun. It's <laughs> the nice weather. You know, we want to breathe in air. We wanted to know where they were coming from. North Delta. Do we live in Surrey? Vancouver. Which is not what BC's provincial health officer asked us to do. 
So if you live in North Van, you should not be traveling to Langley or to Richmond. If you live in the Lower Mainland, you should not be traveling to the island. With COVID numbers growing at a rapid pace, the mayor of White Rock is getting nervous. The big concern is how far do we go before we shut parking down, before we shut the pier down, before we shut the promenade down. When COVID started ramping up last spring, White Rock shut down the waterfront for three months. Keep the distance, wear the masks, um, be respectful of each other. I honestly have seen probably no more than 10 or 15% of the people that since I've come here that have masks on. Not a lot of people that seem to be wearing no. them. Yeah. <laughs> the public is flocking to outdoor attractions from Lynn Valley on the North Shore to the Chilliwack Tulips in the Upper Fraser Valley. Most of the time, occasionally people are walking around without their masks, which we can't police, but we are really, really encouraging everyone to wear masks unless they're taking pictures. Surrey RCMP's compliance and enforcement team will be looking for people breaking the health orders. We will be out there uh, doing patrols on our beaches, on our parks, um, to make sure that people are following the public health orders. And if somebody is violating those orders, we will be issuing tickets. White Rock will decide on Monday night whether they will have to turn crowds away until this wave of COVID is over. Everybody is trying to do the same thing. Please stay home. Julia Foy, Global News. A First Nation on Vancouver Island is encouraging its members to get immunized after seeing some vaccine hesitancy among young people who've been hit hard by the variants. The Cowichan Tribes held its most recent first dose clinic on Thursday. As of Wednesday, more than 2,800 people had been immunized, but health officials say they haven't seen a lot of 16 to 40-year-olds. 69% of Cowichan Tribes cases have been in people under the age of 40. Doctors warn that catching COVID doesn't give you the kind of immunity vaccinations do. Now with the variants that are coming on, the younger people in 20s and up are getting very, very sick. And um, it, it's quite a worry, actually. We're seeing a lot of those younger people ending up very seriously ill and even um, on machines in hospital. The Cowichan Tribes has recorded 276 COVID cases since January, with at least six deaths. The First Nation is telling members their best defense is vaccination and getting tested early if they're feeling unwell. Weeks after her resort community was shut down after becoming a COVID hotspot, a Whistler doctor is warning British Columbians we could be in for Ontario-like restrictions if we don't smarten up. Kristen Robinson has more on why she says everyone needs to take the highly contagious variants seriously. It's a home alone that you don't ever want to experience. A family nightmare that started in Whistler. Dr. Kathy Zaglinski says the children of two of her friends are now fighting COVID-19 in isolation while their parents, both 48 years old, are hospitalized with the virus. One has had a stroke and is on blood thinners. His wife is across the hall in blood thinners. Their children, 14 and six, are home alone because they have COVID. They're being supported, but no one can enter the house. The Whistler-based family and sports medicine physician says the couple contracted COVID after dining indoors in the resort community. And it rapidly went through his household and other friends' households. So it's really scary. That is what we are facing, a rapidly exploding Brazilian variant. It's not the old COVID, it's a new COVID. 
The more contagious mutations arrived in Whistler via out-of-province visitors, infecting British Columbians also vacationing in the popular ski destination and fueling 1,685 recorded cases between January and mid-April. Whistler is now shut down in the site of mass vaccinations. Zaglinski is urging everyone to take the shot when it's offered and not dispute public health advice. It's not time during the middle of a fire to bicker about who did something wrong and who didn't communicate right and who should be doing something different. You just take everything that you have and you fight the fire. If we don't follow the orders in place to stop the spread, she warns BC could potentially face a stay-at-home order. None of us want that. We are also going to see our friends and family get hospitalized and we're going to see some people die. And that is what's happening in Ontario and we don't need to be there. Instead, Zaglinski says it's not too late to do our part in the battle against the variants. Kristen Robinson, Global News. We're hearing from another Vancouver Canucks player about his COVID-19 experience. The Canucks held their third full practice this morning since the team experienced an outbreak. On Friday, GM Jim Benning said it was the P1 variant that ravaged most of their entire roster. Today, forward Brandon Sutter talked about his experience, saying he caught the virus along with his pregnant wife and two young children. Thankfully, they're all recovering. I had it. My wife had it. Uh, my two kids had it. Um, luckily, the kids were were uh, <laughs> they passed it uh, with, with flying colors. They were uh, they were feeling good all the way through. So, I think when I first tested positive, that was my biggest concern. Um, you know, my, my wife's 23 weeks pregnant. Um, my daughter's just about four. My son's two. So, when I first got it, just that I guess a little bit of fear, stress kind of sets in that you're going to give it to them and not sure how they're going to react to it. Um, but uh, to be honest, I definitely had it the worst out of the four of us. And the Canucks face the Maple Leafs at Rogers Arena Sunday night. Barry DeLay has more on the lineup coming up in sports. The city of Vancouver has purchased another hotel to help homeless people. The, West, the best western hotel on Kingsway in Mount Pleasant will be renovated to provide approximately 68 homes for those living on the streets. It's the second hotel the city has purchased with $51.5 million in federal funding from the Rapid Housing Initiative. The Days Inn on Kingsway at 29th Avenue was purchased in February and will be turned into 65 homes. It will open to tenants this winter, while the best Western units are expected to be ready this summer. The province and the Vancouver Park Board have agreed to decamp Strathcona Park by April 30th. An appeal from the family of a Masset woman who's been missing for nearly a year. Shaylana Lewis failed to return home on the night of March 21st, 2020. She didn't appear to take any belongings, including her cell phone. A witness may have spotted her walking on a highway near Masset that night, but she hasn't been seen since. Her mother was joined by Masset RCMP to make a video appeal. We've been looking daily to um, thinking about how we could find Shalana daily. And if you have any information, no matter how insignificant you think it is, please phone. And if you're afraid, please reach out um, to give information. 
some heart-stopping dash cam video from near Barrier, about 65 kilometers north of Kamloops Thursday night. The commercial truck driver who captured it is sharing it because he's concerned about the irresponsible actions of some semi-drivers on BC roads. You first see the lights of an oncoming vehicle, then suddenly a semi pulls up to pass. The pickup later emerges in full view, pulled all the way over onto the shoulder of the road. If not for the evasive actions of others on the road, this scenario could have ended in tragedy. Still to come, how Prince Philip's funeral today brought members of the royal family together by staying apart. But first, an open secret. Why Vancouver hasn't approved public alcohol consumption, even though people are doing it anyway. And as B.C. basks in sunshine, concerns are growing about the wildfire risk. As the news hour continues. New Westminster became just the latest community in the Lower Mainland to experiment with allowing drinking at local parks. But the city of Vancouver is still struggling to find a way to make that legal, even though, as Paul Johnson reports, no one seems to hide their open, open liquor consumption. Grooving to the smooth jazz at Kitts Beach Saturday. If you were to pick a theme song for this story, though, you might go with Breaking the Law. Please, please allow alcohol in the parks. More than a year into the pandemic, and with the dangers of indoor gathering and drinking well known, BC's premier urban parks, those run by the Vancouver Park Board, are still off limits to any kind of alcohol consumption. With the warm weather here, countless are showing what they think about that rule. So I've done a little informal survey here, and I can report that between a third and half of the people down here have a beer or a drink going, and things seem to be pretty peaceful and under control. Oh, absolutely. Treat people like adults till they show that they don't deserve to be treated that way. Well, the park board had planned on a pilot project to allow adults to drink in some parks, they haven't yet been able to sort out the legal details to make that happen, which is baffling to many, given the park's lenience in Strathcona Park, where stolen bike chop shops and explosive fuels were tolerated, among other problems. I would say if you want it. to have a beer, have a beer. Other jurisdictions have done things differently. The city of Vancouver opened a number of public spaces for an outdoor drink. North Van and Port Coquitlam have done the same, all apparently without a surge in crime and hooliganism. Put up your hands if you guys are of legal drinking age. A minute with these lads raises the question of how in sync the rules are with young people. Like after like a game of basketball or volleyball or like you get out of the water, you know, what do you want? A nice cold beer. A nice cold yeah. beer, thank you. We couldn't get an official statement from the park board Saturday, but a person with knowledge of the matter told Global News they know many are quietly drinking in their parks, but they're hesitant to say it's okay because that would be against the rules. At Kitts Beach, Paul Johnson, Global News. A house fire in Surrey yesterday has left a man in critical condition. Flames erupted from a home in the 13500 block of 113 Avenue in Bridgeview at around 645 last night. Firefighters found three people injured outside of the home. One of them, a man in his 60s, is in critical condition with severe burns. 
Firefighter, a firefighter also suffered minor injuries. The cause of the fire has not yet been determined. We have some breaking news. Fire crews have been called to just outside of Merritt to put out a wildfire. The Iron Mountain wildfire is six kilometers north of the community. Firefighters from the city have been dispatched and six BC wildfire personnel are assisting. No word if any structures are threatened at this time. Well, if wildfires like those in recent days and current conditions that prompted warnings to be cautious about weekends, about this weekend, cautious this weekend about sparking such fires, some of which have already been seen on the south coast, the interior and in the Kootenays. Catherine Urquhart has more. A grass fire in Chilliwack Thursday quickly spreads across eight hectares. It comes within 200 meters of the highway, and battling it requires 45 firefighters. Those flames, just the latest reminder that the fire season is upon us. With long periods of warm weather and dry weather, that the rating can change quickly, and the, the fuel in the forest is easily ignitable. On Friday, crews near Cranbrook rushed to extinguish a wildfire near St. Mary's Band Reserve. Extremely dry conditions helped to fuel the three-hectare blaze. The fire actually was kind of close to a couple of our homes here in the community, um, but folks are, are safe, um, the homes are safe. In the Kamloops area, crews have already responded to multiple fires. Unseasonably warm and dry conditions have prompted warnings to never leave campfires unattended. If you are going to have any campfires this weekend, we recommend making sure, and this is under the Wildfire Regulation and Act, that your campfire is half a meter by half a meter. You have a shovel and eight liters of water on hand. You always ensure the fire is cool to touch prior to leaving. Uh, don't burn in windy conditions. Also advised, if possible, removing any combustibles whether you live in a rural area or more urban setting. It's just making sure that you don't have combustible fuels near your home. Anything like your yard trimmings, uh, your Christmas tree from December, your uh, pile of logs for your wood-burning fireplace, stuff like that. Any sparks or embers from the forest fire can light those up uh, in the immediate, immediately adjacent to your home, and then, then that would be the risk to your, to your house. This wildfire season is, so far, not unusual. But as we've seen in previous years, that can change very quickly, especially as we head into the hotter months. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Up next, the one thing you can do to improve your home and your brain at the same time, plus. Nobody's on side with this guy. I don't know where he gets his ideas. It's really disappointing. Backlash in Ontario to new COVID rules even as many police forces say they go too far. And Canada records its second blood clot following the AstraZeneca vaccination. Those stories next. Scary moments in southern Alberta this afternoon as a large dust devil swept across a field just east of Fort McLeod. Environment Canada confirms it is not a tornado and was likely caused by the warm air from a grass fire combined with strong winds. While these aren't likely to do much damage, you don't want to get caught in their path. 
Ontario has enacted a strict new lockdown to try to tamp down a frightening surge in COVID case numbers. But anger is growing over new powers given to police to enforce some of those restrictions. And tonight, several police departments in that province say they won't stop people who may be defying stay-at-home orders. As Global's Sean O'Shea reports, the provincial government may have to rethink its plan. Despite Ontario's new ban on many outdoor activities, the changes didn't stop these skateboarders from working on their form. Practicing in front of a downtown Toronto police station. And the police are really friendly. I mean, a squad of them came through and they don't seem to mind. So, I mean, that's good news for us. Throughout the province, the latest pandemic rules mean you can't legally play basketball at a court like this. Shouldn't be confined to our house, you know, who... Who has the power to tell you you, you can't go outside? Golfing is prohibited, along with nearly all outdoor social gatherings. A worry for one doctor. We have to be careful about interventions that might have the unintended consequence of driving people indoors, where, you know, with all the patients that I'm seeing right now, that's where the transmission is occurring. Non-essential construction must now stop. Retailers need to reduce in-store capacity to 25%. As the province's COVID-19 case numbers hit record highs, Ontario has enacted the toughest restrictions in Canada so far. And as your Premier, it falls on me to make the difficult choices. It falls on me to do what's necessary. Police in the province now have the authority to stop people in public and demand their home address and ask them to justify why they're not at home. Tell me the difference between that and the War Measures Act in 1970. Uh, the police should not have that right. The police are all saying they're not going to do any of this stuff. They're not on side with him. Nobody's on side with this guy. I don't know where he gets his ideas. It's really disappointing. Civil liberties critics say the rules are unconstitutional, while several Ontario police services have publicly said they won't be using the Ford government's new authority. The, the, the police won't be stopping people randomly. Um, they'll be stopping them in concurrence uh, with whatever the regulation is. That's the challenge, though. We don't yet know what the regulation is. The Premier later said playgrounds could stay open and other changes may be coming. On Monday, Ontario will set up checkpoints at its borders with Manitoba and Quebec. No visitors will be allowed in, except for essential purposes like work and transportation of goods. Sean O'Shea, Global News, Toronto. Alberta is reporting its first case of a blood clot linked to the AstraZeneca vaccine. A man in his 60s is now recovering from the very rare disorder. Earlier this week, a Quebec woman became the country's first patient to have a blood clot after getting the shot. Most cases around the world have occurred in women under the age of 60. It's not that there's no risk of this outcome in those who are over 55 or that there's no risk in men but rather that it is still such a very rare risk. Again, this is two cases out of more than 700,000 doses in Canada, that the risks, uh, somebody who gets COVID-19 in this age group has an extremely high risk of having blood clots from that infection. Under health regulations, people under 55 in Canada are not currently given the AstraZeneca vaccine because of an increased risk for blood clots for that age group. The global death toll from COVID-19 has hit a grim and staggering milestone. More than 3 million people have died from the virus worldwide. To put that into perspective, that's more than the population of Manitoba and Saskatchewan combined. The true number of deaths is believed to be significantly higher because of possible government concealment and the, that many cases were overlooked in the early stages of the pandemic. 
Along with rising COVID numbers, the U.S. is also dealing with another environmental crisis. Man-made lakes that millions of people in the American West depend on for water are projected to shrink to historic lows in the coming months. And that could trigger the federal government's first ever official water shortage declaration and force cuts in Arizona and Nevada. The U.S. government released projections this week forecasting less water from the Colorado River will cascade down from the Rocky Mountains, threatening the supply of water that cities and farms rely on. Experts blame climate change, saying it means less snowpack flowing into the river and hotter temperatures causing more river water to evaporate. It could also threaten the generation of electricity at the Hoover Dam, which supplies power to millions of people in Arizona, California and Nevada. In Health Matters tonight, cleaning your home could improve your brain health. Researchers analyzed the brain volume and cognition of 66 healthy older adults who were also asked about how much time they spend doing household chores. They found those who dedicated more time to household chores had greater brain volume. Experts believe one reason could be that the more time they spend doing chores, the less time spent being sedentary which has been linked to poor brain health. Coming up next, what it takes to produce the most expensive fruit in the world and what it'll cost you. And still to come. At one point, she just seemed to have just a handbag for company. The queen sits alone for her husband's funeral, the ceremony that united a divided family. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Wait until you hear what some people are willing to pay for what is considered the world's most expensive fruit. We're going to have that for you right after Yvonne's forecast. But first, it appears Stanley Park isn't the only place where coyotes are emboldened. This coyote in an Edmonton park wasn't camera shy at all. Global Edmonton reporter Vinish Pratap was preparing to do a live report when this happened. Yeah, he was so focused on his work, he didn't notice the wild animal was getting closer. But the camera operator spotted the coyote and followed it with his camera. As it got closer and closer, then finally Vinish takes notice, understandably, a little bit surprised. What do we do? Coyotes usually st stay away from people, right? <laughs> usually, but not these days. Oh my goodness, I'm gonna guess that those, those poor coyotes are probably being fed by people at the park, just mm -hmm. like Stanley Parks are. Unfortunately, stop feeding the animals. Even on a beautiful day like today. Even on a beautiful <laughs> day like today, exactly. Uh, good evening everyone and thanks so much Colleen. It was gorgeous out there. We're seeing record-breaking temperatures once again, unofficial, especially for areas that are away from the water. Spectacular, here's a shot overlooking our tower cam. 18 right now, we've got a northwesterly wind at nine kilometers per hour. A few spots across the province. So out of the airport today, 19 degrees, not record-breaking, but we can see from away from the water, Coquitlam getting up to 25 degrees. Areas near Langley, 26 degrees, Pitt Meadow today topping out at 26, Cultus Lake closer to 28 degrees, lit in the hot spot across the province today up to 28 degrees, and the heat for areas near Port Alberni up to 27 degrees. We've got another warm day in store and the warm temperatures are going to continue into next week. Then we've got a change on the way and I'll outline that in just a moment. So 19 was the high, we're well above the average for this time of the year, but it's really areas away from the water today getting up to 25 degrees. A couple of great shots to show you 
you. This is a time lapse that was taken of the Northern Lights. This one in Prince George. Uh, thank you so much, Chris. He put together over 2,000 photos to make that time lapse. A great shot captured by Steve, 105 mile house, and another one from the Mighty Nass River. And this one was taken by Cole. Now, the upper level chart showing us that ridge of high pressure has been the dominant feature, giving us the sunshine for those who like the heat. It continues all the way into early next week. Then the potential for it to start to weaken. Some systems push pushing in across the province will be Thursday with an increase in cloud cover. And on Friday, we could see a chance of showers. It'll be a touch cooler, especially as we get in towards next weekend. But that's still a few days out. Update on the fire danger rating and a reminder, dry conditions. We've got moderate for all areas that are in yellow and the yellow showing us a high stream flow advisory. The area in red with the flood warning for the Nasco River. And that's just above M Michelle Creek. Rather, the high stream flow advisory is the river levels are and are expected to rise rapidly, but no major flooding is expected. And the flood warning that's in red river levels have or will exceed the bank full. So uh, heads up there and a reminder as we get in towards the fire season. The northern half of the province with some sunshine in the mix. We may have some cloud cover across the central interior. Should start to clear out. Bit of a blip for the southeastern corners with a slight chance for an isolated shower. Some cloud cover. Southern interior tomorrow by the afternoon. A northerly wind could see gusts of up to 60, so it'll be breezy. Along the south coast, long-range forecast, Colleen. It looks fantastic. So Ooh. hot and sunny. It's wow. not until next week, and it's really a few days out, so get out and enjoy the sunshine as well. Oh, love it. Thanks so much, Yvonne. Okay, after a decade of trial and error, three Malaysian farmers are finally selling what are known as the most expensive fruit in the world. The founder of the farm says these Japanese musk melons are like works of art. Each receives regular massages using a soft cloth or glove. The farmers also believe that playing classical music for the plant stimulates their growth. These melons sell for almost $51 each, which is about a third of the price of musk melons imported from Japan. Meanwhile, the season's first auction for mangoes took place at a wholesale market in southwestern Japan. These premium mangoes are called teonobu let me try that again, Teonotamago, which means egg of the sun. A pair of ripe mangoes fetched as much as $2,000. Now I gotta say guys that $2,000 for two, so that's $1,000 each, that's a lot more than the $51 for the melons. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's why it's so hard to pronounce, because it's <laughs> expensive. <laughs> they add a little extra touch with the name in it. No kidding. Is there gold included? Is there something else? A little nugget? Get a prize, maybe like in the cereal box? Yeah. yeah. There's got to be in something going on. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, what have we got coming up, Barry? Well, Canucks final practice before getting back at it. It'll be 25 days between games. Travis Green was one of those uh, who really had really tough symptoms, and uh, he wasn't sure if he was going to be able to come back to coach tomorrow night, but he's going to, and we'll hear from him when we come back. All right, thanks, Barry. Up next, the funeral he would have wanted despite the pandemic. Prince Philip is laid to rest in a private ceremony with only close family in attendance. We'll have that story next. The Piper's Lament is played outside the Seaforth Armory in Vancouver this morning as the Seaforth Highlanders of Canada said goodbye to their regiment's Colonel-in-Chief, Prince Philip. The Lament was meant to coincide with official commemorations in Canada for the Duke of Edinburgh. In Ottawa, a 40-minute ceremony was held at Christchurch Cathedral 
It was closed to the public, but broadcast and live streamed in line with COVID-19 protocols. The Duke of Edinburgh was laid to rest at St. George's Chapel on the grounds of Windsor Castle today. The pandemic meant the service was an intimate family affair. Just 30 people all spread out and all wearing masks. Prince Philip planned his own funeral, keeping it simple. But as Crystal Gamansing reports, it was infused with his personality and royal tradition. All of Prince Philip's children had very different relationships with their father. In death, as in life, he acted as their guide. Prince Philip died peacefully at Windsor Castle on April 9th, and on the grounds on a beautifully sunny day, eight days later, the world watched in tribute. Hundreds of members of the armed forces provided the pageantry and formality Prince Philip had wanted. A veteran of the Second World War, he took a keen interest in the military. Phil Dampier is a royal expert and commentator for Global News. I thought it was a wonderful service and a really fitting tribute to a great man. It was a fantastic military send-off for him. The plans were adjusted. Even royals in mourning are subject to COVID-19 restrictions. Only four choir members were permitted to perform. Their voices filled a noticeably empty St. George's Chapel. Only 30 people were allowed to attend the service. It hath pleased Almighty God to take out of this transitory life unto his divine mercy the late most high, mighty and illustrious prince. The 99-year-old's naval cap and sword were among a few of the special items on his coffin. There were no eulogies, but the prayers and music selected by Prince Philip spoke volumes. It was a very sad sight to see the Queen sitting there on her own, wearing a mask. At one point, she bowed her head. Um, I think she might have been wiping a tear away at one moment, but um, at one point, she just seemed to have just her handbag for company. In photos of the Queen, there were always two constants, her handbag and her husband. For everyone, saying goodbye has been difficult. Those who knew and worked with Prince Philip say they want to be respectful, and that means not lingering with their sorrow. His Royal Highness was never one for, for pomp or circumstance or, or flummery. He's somebody who would say, just get on with it. Prince Philip was said to be a practical man. His funeral was poignant with small little personal touches. One thing that stood out to me was when his driving carriage entered the grounds of Windsor Castle with his cap and gloves on the seat. A montage to commemorate the life of Prince Philip has been shared by the royal family on social media. Finagle triumphs at sea with flaming decoy boats. The photos have been set to a poem by poet laureate Simon Armitage. They show the Duke of Edinburgh through the decades, from infancy to old age, highlighting his service in the Royal Navy and his support for the Queen for three quarters of a century. And the royal family has released a private photo of the Queen and Prince Philip. It was taken at the top of the Coils of Muck, a mountainous region in northeast Scotland. This is a private photograph taken in 2003 by the Countess of Wessex, who's the wife of their youngest son, Prince Edward. A moment of candid relaxation that captures the Queen and Prince Philip as people rather than royals. Up next, Barry has sports, including what the Canucks are saying ahead of tomorrow's first game back. And later, 
This is no stunt. We meet the dog that prefers to walk and run on two legs. Stay with us. Dexter, the dexterous stop, dog stop. who prefers to walk on two legs. We're going to have that story for you right after sports with Barry. Yeah, she'll, let Pause me see the Canucks try and do that trick, Barry. Well, yeah, they could probably use Dexter. They could use all hands or paws on deck because, uh, man, they are shorthanded. Yeah, oh. Canucks had their uh, final practice before uh, resuming their schedule. i got to find my pedal here. I don't have it. I'm going to have to read off my... Read off the script. Like there you the go. Days. Yeah, resuming their schedule tomorrow afternoon against the Leafs. Travis Green did run the practice the first time he's been well enough to do that since the team returned to Rogers Arena a few days ago. We know that Thatcher Demko, Tyler Mott, and Ole Ulevi will not play tomorrow. It's too sick to play still. And Jake Bertanen and Nate Schmidt are still on the COVID protocol list and aren't available. But Green will be behind the bench. He was one of those who had severe symptoms and is thankful he was able to recover and be a coach again today, which of course includes yelling at the players. My voice has come a long way in the last few days. Uh, it's getting stronger every day. I, I'm a little raspy now after running a practice, but uh, I think I'll be, I'll be fine to go. You know, there's been a lot of people that have gone through a lot and are uh, coming back to play, and I wanted to make sure that uh, uh, I was there. If I didn't feel like I could do it, though, I wouldn't do it. Um, you know, there was, there was time just probably a couple days ago where I really didn't believe I would be. So um, I'm thankful that I'm, I've been able to come and be at the rink the last few days and get on the ice today and uh, be good to coach tomorrow. NHL today, Canadians and Senators Kerry Price back in the net after missing a couple of weeks with an injury, but it was all Senators. Two goals for Drake Batherson. This one made it 2-0, and then in the third, the quick release on the power play. Price allowed three goals on just 14 shots. Sens win 4-0. Habs are 12 points up on the Canucks, but Vancouver now has five games in hand. And Oilers and Jets. Edmonton's been off seven days after a couple of their games versus the Canucks were postponed. Second period still scoreless. Oilers power play. McDavid tees it up for Tyson Berry, who blows it past Connor Hellbuck. one nothing Edmonton. And then in the third, great pressure from the Oilers' big line. Dreisaitl to McDavid. Wonderful one-handed pass to Jesse Pugliarvi for his 10th. 2 nothing Edmonton. And they go on to beat the Jets 3 to nothing. The Whitecaps kick off their season tomorrow night at home at their uh, home base in Salt Lake City against the always tough Portland Timbers. As you would expect, there is plenty of optimism and excitement at this time of year for the team, even though it's anything but a regular season with COVID keeping the Whitecaps out of their stadium for at least a few more months. I think we've been through so much as a team um, from last year up until now that we're able to take on any challenge and, and, you know, turn that obstacle into an experience and a good experience. So although this, this preseason has presented its obstacles, I think we've, we've done a, a great job of making the most of, of, uh, of those scenarios and doing the best we can and taking the most out of it. And we'd like you to join our friends from AM 730 for the Whitecaps uh, game tomorrow. The new partners with the Whitecaps for their radio broadcast. Join uh, Corey Basso and Ian Miller with the call. Pre-game starts at 6 and game time 7 o'clock on AM 730. The two other Canadian MLS teams started their season today against each other. Club de Foot, Montreal. They're no longer the impact. They've been renamed and they're pretty good. Taking on Toronto FC. 
Uh, already up 1-0, Romel Kyoto. Check out that speed. Outruns the defender, then plants one to the roof of the net. 2-0, CF Montreal. The second half, now 3-1. Georgi Mihailovic with the nice finish. And CF Montreal off to a winning start. Beat Toronto FC 4-2. FA Cup semifinal, Chelsea and Manchester City. Only one goal this match off the counter. And it's Chelsea. Timo Werner, beautiful cross to Hakeem Ziyech. 55th minute for Chelsea, 1-0 the final, so no quadruple for Man City, who look like they'll easily win the EPL. Chelsea awaits the winner of Southampton, Leicester City, who play tomorrow. Beautiful day at Hilton Head, South Carolina for the third round of the RBC Heritage. Canadian Corey Connors began the day in second, but he spent moving day going backwards. Just one birdie. It came here at the ninth. Bunker shot leads to the short birdie. But Corey with a one over 72 after shooting 64 yesterday drops into a tie for six. But he's a long way back of the leader. Stuart Sink, the 47-year-old, back-to-back 63s to open the tournament. Two under 69 today. He's at 18 under Eight ahead of Corey Connors, and he has a whopping five-shot lead. Baseball today, the Blue Jays and Royals playing a doubleheader in Kansas City after being rained out last night. Jay starter Steven Matz had it going, a no-hitter into the sixth, struck out five, improved his record to 3-0. He's got a 147 ERA, and he got some offensive help from Vladdy Guerrero Jr., Smashes his fourth homer of the season. Vladdy hitting about 420 right now. Jays win the first game of the doubleheader 5-1. And, of course, they just play seven innings in the doubleheaders now. Game two, Jays looking for the sweep. Tied 2-2, bottom of the seventh. Looks like it might go to extras. But Salvador Perez with the game-winning home run for the Royals as they take it 3-2. So the Jays drop to 7-8 and eight on the season after their doubleheader split today in Kansas City. Women's team tennis from Serbia, Leila Annie Fernandez in Canada looking to clinch the tie with the win over Nina Stojanovic, 87th ranked. That's the player Rebecca Marino of Vancouver beat yesterday. Fernandez lost the opening set but roared back to take the second. And then more of the same from the 18-year-old in the third. Chases down the drop shot and Fernandez wins the match. Canada took the tie 4-0. Impressive from our women who did not have Bianca Andreescu still recovering from that ankle injury. The Canadian elite basketball season doesn't start until early June, but the Fraser Valley Bandits out of Abbotsford did some more roster building this week as the CEBL held its U Sports draft. As Jay Danauer reports, Canadian content is what this league is all about. Adam Page and Grant Adu are the newest members of the Fraser Valley Bandits after being selected this week in the Canadian Elite Basketball League's draft. The Bandits are all in on the Canadian content. Page is a third-year forward from the University of Alberta. Adu, a fourth-year guard from UBC. In the CBL, I look at it as a great opportunity. I feel like it's an upcoming league. Everybody's really excited about it. I see lots of good guys coming in from different levels, whether it be uh, D1, uh, ex-U sports players, um, pros from overseas. So for me, I just look at it as a, a big growing league that has a lot of potential to. A few seasons ago, Adam Page was leading Semiamu to a second place finish at the BC High School Championships. Now he's preparing for his first pro season of professional basketball. Being ho a hometown uh, player and being a guy from Canada, being able to play right in your backyard is huge. Um, and then having other players around you is just going to help you uh, get to the next level way easier. And that's the thing about the CEBL. It's a Canadian league started by Canadians for Canadians. 
80% of team rosters last year were made up by homegrown talent. It's about as grassroots as a league can get. I think we're game changers. I think we are going to really push the fold on what Canadians can do, uh, and we're going to stand by it the entire time. And that is it for sports. Colleen, back to you. All right, thanks, Barry. Up next, four legs good, three legs fine, two legs even better. We'll explain next. Okay, we are going to meet a dog that's overcoming adversity and gaining a lot of attention in the process. Have a look. Why does that dog look like a human? Because he was in an accident. Dexter, who lives in Colorado, walks exclusively, almost exclusively, on his hind legs after he was hit by a car in 2016. After a few surgeries and a lot of rehab, the, Dex the Dexter started to adapt to walking this way instead of balancing on three legs following an amputation. Dexter has 217,000 followers on TikTok with 5 million likes. His Instagram account also has a huge following, especially during the pandemic. Isn't he just the cutest? I love it. Look at him, just going walk. for a stroll. Oh. They need to hold hands and then just walk down the street together. He's adorable. Oh, anything that makes us smile right now is a good thing. <laughs> Definitely. That is the news hour for tonight. Thanks for joining us. Jordan is here at 11. Stay with us now for Donna Friesen and the new reality. Have a good night.